Hey everyone, it's Dan. I am making an ad at the top of Says Who to tell you about the fact that this week I launched a Kickstarter. I am selling P-Tape and Robert Mueller prayer candles because I have decided, I guess, to appeal to a higher power. Uh, they are on Kickstarter right now. I already have the production proofs. I'm pretty much ready to go. I want you, Says Whovian, to back them. You can go to kickstarter.com and search for P-Tape and I promise you, it will be the only thing that comes up. Thanks. That was awesome. Now you do an ad. Hello, it's me, Sarah Fuckabee Sanders. I'm tired of answering the same questions over and over again because the president has made it completely clear he has not read this vile, fake, completely untrue new book. Right? This book is a disgrace, and the American people want to move on from the subject, but I will say it again. The president has no comment on Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson, which is a new mystery, and it's a mystery to me why the media is so obsessed with it. It's the story of Stevie Bell, who's a true crime aficionado who is trying to solve an 80-year-old unsolved case called The Crime of the Century, which took place at Ellingham Academy, which is an elite boarding school in the mountains of Vermont. But I already know what the crime of the century is, and that's the media. So when a student dies at Ellingham, she's convinced it's murder and is truly devious back decades later. Uh, the tagline of this book is, some things don't stay buried. But I'll tell you what doesn't stay buried. It's like a tape or a payoff to a porn star. Now, like I said, the president hasn't read this, and Ivanka hasn't read it, or Little Dojo hasn't read it, or that one that looks like a turnip hasn't read it. But if you want to read it, it's available at bookstores and libraries everywhere. So get a copy if you're a hater or a loser. Now I have to go feed Eric his mess. Sanders out. It was like I was there. Uh, Maureen, before before we get going, did you get that memo I wrote about the new our new approach? Did I wrote a memo. I sent it over to you. I got it mimeographed, and I sent it via inter inter podcast mail. Did you get it? Did you get that memo I sent over? What are you talking about? I wrote a memo, Maureen. It was about new approaches. I believe the the subject line was new approaches to podcast strategy. Did you get that memo? I. No one wants the memo. Who the podcast that isn't a podcast? It's a coping strategy. I'm Dan Sinker, and I'm Maureen Johnson. Dan, after you, uh, after you gave me a, a, the rundown of the news last week, and there was a lot of news. Um, somebody on Twitter remarked that when they were listening to it, it said it sounded like you were sitting there unspooling, like your beard was falling out strand by strand, and regenerating and falling out and it's, they pictured me just sitting there listening and coloring the whole time that's that's what i also was envisioning yeah Were you in fact coloring no but i feel like if there was ever a piece of art that i feel like a picture of the two of us at work you just kind of going you know losing it I and mean, i'm just saying they're coloring as, the, as probably a pretty good visual representation of well, I would tell you one thing, Maureen. I am not unspooling the events of the last two weeks this episode because I am baffled by them. It's been, I am it's been busy. It's been busy. It's also just been confusing. This whole memo thing has... I have lost the thread completely. So I just want to say at the top of the episode, we have an extensive interview with Spencer Ackerman, now from the Daily Beast, previously from The Guardian, 
talking about the memo and everything else, because like both you and I in like talking about this episode, were just like, I don't even know how to talk about this shit. So uh, we do have that. But man, I'm not going through the last couple of weeks because it, it's like a Mobius strip of crazy. Yeah. And I, I mean, I watched the State of the Union. You did. I did not. You don't get that. I, I didn't just not. I just didn't not watch. I I signed out of Twitter. I turned all notifications off. I decided to go. I went silent. It was great. Yeah, you you made the right decision. It was um, felt like freedom. He saw he 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 sounded like he just had a bottle of Nyquil. It was like a tired old racist just noodling along. That's that's him presidential, Maureen. You've confused tired old racist with presidential again. Yeah. Tired old racist as opposed to coked up old racist. I mean, you know, whatever. Allegedly, um, I'm not saying that. Just You're saying he acts saying like that. a method. Anyway, whatever. I'm a little ball sunshine today, Dan. Dan, I feel you great. Are. Snippity snap snap. Snoppity snoop snip. It's Whoa. great. Okay, we're having a great time, Dan. We are. Welcome to says who. It's a great time. Snippity snap snap. I like that. It's like, that's like your new zippity doo da. Snippity snap snap. The last few weeks have been so kind of overwhelming that I actually want to just sort of step back and talk about something totally different, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. Like, I just want to spend a little bit of time because both of us now, as you heard at the top of the episode, like, both of us have put things out into the world. And, like, for both of us, that was not the easiest thing in the world. And, um, and I, I feel like maybe if we just talk about that, about making stuff and how we do it, that's potentially a helpful coping thing for other people that may be struggling with that sort of thing. I agree. We should. Let's do it. Dan, you've made something awesome. I have made something awesome. I'm looking at it. This week, Maureen. This week. I've been sharing this with you for the last month off the podcast. But Maureen, I know. And I'm excited. I made prayer candles, Maureen. I made prayer candles for the P-tape and to protect Robert Mueller. And just this week, I launched them on Kickstarter. And we're already like over 20% there. By the time <gasps> by the time this episode hits, we will be well past 20%, I hope. Otherwise, because uh, I'm recording this a couple days ahead of that, it think, things will have gone terribly wrong if we still haven't hit 20% since we're under $1,000 from it right now. It's been exciting watching um, watching these get made, partially because, well, they're so cool and they're going to raise money for a great cause. And also, it's just nice to see you happy and making stuff, which is like the natural Dan way of being. It's true. And it's it's funny because I have not felt like that uh, in a while. Uh, my life has taken a turn for the shitty over the last few months uh, now coming up on a year with familial death and illness and all of that and i have felt out of it and i actually talk about this in the video that accompanies this kickstarter and i can't remember if i talked about this on a previous episode but i like this is not an exaggeration the first shopping trip i took in 2018 i came back with nothing but beer uh some scratch off lottery tickets and a prayer candle uh from my grocery store and i lit the prayer candle and i immediately won ten dollars on the scratcher tickets and then that night i was like i should make prayer candle like 
it, I, like all of these ideas, like I had the ideas for the prayer candles. I actually had a pretty damn good idea for a story or a movie or something that I'm still kind of thinking through. Like I had this whole flood of ideas. And it was like something had opened. And yeah, it, I actually was just looking at uh, my photo roll because I think I sent you a photo of a, like a laser print around a prayer candle. And that was exactly one month ago today when we're recording this, the 5th of, of February. So in a month I went from like, this would be a funny idea to like prototyping it, to finding a manufacturer, to actually having production proofs. And it's awesome. I like doing that. I haven't done that in a long time. Whew, my brain you're feels really better. You're good at making stuff like you're not you're one of those people that's like, I have an idea. And then you actually proceed logically through the steps of. And I say this as someone who's been updating her website and I am my website is literally in development today. It is taking me like three years to up, you know, I, the way you just make stuff. And this is like tangible stuff that you can hold in your hand. Like I make stuff, but like you make stuff and then you, then you'd set up all the stuff around it and you did all the Kickstarter stuff and then you like record a video and then you like set up like a, a little studio in your house and you like took really good photos of it. And like, then you made resistance ranger badges, you make things and that's I, making, uh, making, making things is good. And like, I feel like that's what you're best at. It's just making it. I mean, it's certainly like being able to think of something and get it tangibly done is something that I like, especially in hard times, like I really want to do. And that's one of the things that's been so difficult over the last, you know, 10 months or so has just been feeling like things are so tenuous and I have such a loose grasp on like the unfolding reality around me that I can't even find the time or find the headspace to do it, but it's also really quick. And I think, I think one of the things that I'm curious about with you, because you also make things like I literally just two nights ago finished reading your book, which is also this tangible thing, but it's like a tangible thing that takes a lot longer to make and a lot more sustained thinking than when I make stuff. And like, that is the part where it's like, I don't know how you are able to keep your brain functioning at that level to keep like a three or 400 page novel together. It hasn't been easy because this really isn't even a three or 400 page novel. It's more like a 1200 page novel because um, Jesus, it's it's three books. It's two mysteries over three books. And to be honest, it has been super duper hard. And I used to be able to sustain concentration for a lot longer. And I keep and I really dwell on this a lot of how broken my concentration feels. And um, I've been working on it through a number of ways. Like one of the, one of the ways I'm trying, and it, I'm, I know a lot of people feel this way. I know a lot of people have really, really struggled to finish things um, since this all, you know, I'm going to put quotes started. Like it's a hard to know when it starts, but um. Eliminating some choices for myself, like eliminating the number of decisions I have to make in a day, because your brain is constantly trying to figure out what to do. And thinking about books is so and thinking about long plots and things is so complicated that I you have to literally break it down where you have no choices left to make. <laughs> um, like I found a program 
that uh, shuts all parts of your computer down, not just the internet, but all of the parts of your computer down except for it until you've hit a word count or a time. Oh, wow. Like you can't, you can't do anything because a lot of them will just shut off the web or something, but you can still noodle around with other parts. This won't let you into anything and it will not quit. Uh, 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 a woman I know recommended a thing for a phone. I think it's called Forest or something like that, where you plant a seed and you set a timer. And if you touch your phone in that time, then the tree that you're growing dies. That did just make me sad. It made me sad. I did it once and I killed the tree and I was like, well, I'm never doing that again. But I, yeah, I put my, I'll put my phone in another room. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. And I think acknowledging it's hard, but making literally sometimes literally just doing anything, you know, anything that like gets you on the ladder, like puts what you have to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And I think that like, to me, part of why the, the, the P tape candle and now the Muller candle were able to be projects that I actually could kind of do from beginning, middle and end was it actually broke, like it chunked down into really achievable tasks. You know, yeah. it was like, like, there was a like as I was launching it this morning, I was like, wow, I thought of this a month ago. That's not very long. And then I'm like, but actually, like the candle was established about three days into that month, you know, like and it's just like it, it like everything else was like maybe an hour a day, you know, where it was like, OK, in this hour, I am going to figure out like how to deal with fulfillment. Right. Or like in this hour, I'm going to like I built a crazy ass spreadsheet. Um, I'm going to apologize to listeners who are hearing my dog fucking lose her shit upstairs. I'm not sure what's going on, but it is uh, there is a lot of barking happening up there. Holy cow. You don't have to apologize to me because that's usually the backdrop of my entire life. So they're like, how do you write, Maureen? I write between barks. <laughs> it's not a joke. That is how I do it. Like she she barks at every noise in the hallway and I live in an apartment building, which means there is always a noise in the hallway. Yeah, I mean, I think that one one thing that is interesting, because like I have definitely thought a lot about th the fact that I like I find solace in making stuff and not just like I'm not like a woodworker. I'm not like, oh, I made this nice little thing that I whittled and I'm going to put it on a shelf like I to me, making stuff is like making stuff and putting it out in the world. And like that has been something that I've really missed in the last year because I usually I get these itches and I just want to scratch them and I have like I have to scratch them to get them done and they just haven't been there. So I think that it's, you know, I think that one of the things that if you are, if you are struggling with output, like I think it really is important. Like it's like you're totally not alone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Know that for sure. Because that is a little question I keep putting around to people. Like, do you have, have you had a harder time? Because I always look around and go, well, everyone else got their books done. Everyone else has done this. Everyone else has done that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me and my terrible, I'm lazy, I'm terrible, whatever. And it's no, it's just that your brain is overfull. And there are steps you can take to try to curb it back. Um, but it's also like some of them are meditation. Some of them are getting out, exercising, doing forced uh, forced exits from the internet or from media. And then there's two things. Like one, you have to sort of wait for everything to settle. Like literally settle into it. Like it's not like you turn off the internet and instantly you get your concentration back. 
got to give a couple minutes. Like you have to let your brain go, settle down. And then also just building habits. So like the first day, maybe like jerky, 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 you know, it doesn't, you don't get a lot done, but little steps that you can give yourself, practice building a habit. You got to get yourself back, but realize it's a, it's a disease. It's affecting pretty much all of us. I also think like starting things and not finishing them is okay. Like I've, I've started and not finished a lot of things over the last year. Um, and like, sometimes that start is nothing more than like, that would be something fun to work on someday when my brain feels like it can function better. Right. Um, and other things are just like little bits that got kind of halfway and then life got in the way. And I may pick that up later. I may not like it's, um, we like, one thing that is super interesting to me as someone that has like documented other people's creative processes for m- much of my entire life at this point is it's so weird how we only see the outputs, right? Like we only see the stuff that got finished and put out in the world. And like most people, including the people that are putting out things that I love, like they spend most of their time not putting things out. You know, they spend most of their time kind of having half an idea and hating it and shelving it or something like that. And like, that's been, oh man, that's been so much of my year is just like all the shit that didn't come out. Yeah. You may carry around this idea in your head that people are like sitting bolt upright in the morning, going immediately to their desk, pounding out a bunch of super useful stuff immediately while consuming a perfect breakfast where the, then they get on their perfectly organized outfit and they go, you know, it's first of all, fuck those people, but like bless your dear hearts also, but no. And you're going to go in and out of phases just because something is happening one way now. doesn't mean that's going to continue happening. I'm just, we're just saying like, it's not just you. It's so not you. You can change it. It's going to, it's going to ebb in and out. Like it's cool. We're going through it. Know that it's, and when you know it's not just you, then you know that you can, but you still see other people doing their stuff, then you know that it's, it's, there's yep. an exit, that there's yeah. a way through it. And boy, sometimes you can't see that way through it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel like my brain is constantly a little hamster wheel. Yep. And, um, and I, when I see myself, like I sat through the stupid, and it was stupid. Uh, State of the Union Dress. It was literally a, a, it was it was very poorly written, and I'm not just saying this to someone who doesn't like Trump. It was dull and poorly written. It was real baggy, yeah. and it was it was it was like it was like someone had bulk purchased cliches. It didn't have there was no there there. <laughs> it really was. It was like an Amer- It was like eagles in America, and if we know one thing about America, it's America is eagles. It just it was just words. It was just patriotism words and. Creepy stuff like having a man stand up who had adopted a homeless woman's baby off the street, but then like mysteriously nothing is ever heard about the homeless woman. And it feels very like mm-hmm. Handmaid's Tale, like where it just doesn't literally does not matter what happened to her. And then he then he goes on a whole then the whole racism thing where he's like, basically, we're all being murdered by immigrants. And it it, it was bad, but it was also dull and it was also poorly done. And it didn't have any new information and there was nothing to be gained by doing it. And I sat there and I went through it and then I asked myself why. Yeah. And the dog is asking why. Yeah. 
Hold on just a second. It's fine. I'm just going to let the dog downstairs. It's going to be fucking chaos. It's insane upstairs right now. Hang on. Here. Hi, Dan. It's me, the thing in the corner. I'm moving under your chair right now. I know, but you'll, I, I... You'll never see me. You'll never know I'm here, but I'm here, Dan. I'm here under your chair. All right. Hey. Dog is downstairs. Jesus. All right. Um... We are going to have to wrap this soon. Yeah, we should go right into it right now. In our last episode, Maureen, I talked about how uh, that two-week window of the previous episode was like the most Trump two-week window we'd had in a year since the inauguration. But one thing that two-week window did not have much of was Trump-Russia stuff. But boy, howdy, this two-week window sure did. Uh, with the release of the Nunes memo and like machinations happening at the FBI and that sort of thing. Uh, but I don't know about you, but I found this two week window super confusing as well in that, like, like both of us follow this pretty easily. And like we kept texting each other being like, I don't know what the fuck's going on to you. So uh, we need someone to help us untangle the mess left by the Nunes memo. So we got Spencer Ackerman, who is a national security reporter at the Daily Beast, but certainly made his name helping to break the Snowden memos back at The Guardian. Because Maureen, nothing but the best for our says Whovians. Yeah. So let's go be idiots with Spencer Ackerman. Let's just do it, Dan. So throughout the history of Says Who, we have been following the, you know, ups and downs of the Russia investigation or Russia rumors and certainly the cast of characters and things like that. And I think both Maureen and I, we felt like we had at least something of a tenuous grasp on things. And then the last couple of weeks happened, especially with the Nunes memo, I have felt completely lost and we used to ask this of guests back in the like lead up to the actual election days and we meant it and i feel like i haven't meant this in a long time but what the hell is going on okay um let me take this as broadly as i can and then we'll back into specifics the timeline and however you guys want to proceed uh, proceed with Maxim Carter Page because he's my boyfriend. Oh, really? I love him with his little hat, oh, his dumb, shiny face, and his love of being on TV. He's do, you have his do you have his number? I wish. Do you want it? What? Do you have, do you have Carter Page's phone number? I do. You need I to have, shut the fuck up right now. I have, I, have, I have texted with Carter Page. Shut up! Look, this is my job. <laughs> Does he... Dan? <laughs> oh, okay. man. Dan? <laughs> for, for the record, I'm not actually going to give out uh, Carter Page's phone number to anyone. Just give it to me. Um, but okay, so this is the general thing to know about the Nunes memo. The people, the Nunes memo, and institutions the Nunes memo is concerned with attacking, discrediting, and otherwise sowing doubt about are the people and institutions investigating Donald Trump. And when you keep that in the forefront of understanding what's really going on here and what the stakes are, that's the kind of ineradicable core of, of, of the, 
the circumstance here, that this memo is fundamentally geared um, to go after those who are going after Trump and, and, and Russia. And primarily, that's through the process of sowing doubt from the outset that the Mueller investigation is based on something substantial. What the Nunes memo does and what its purpose is, is to insinuate that Mueller's investigation is a kind of, to use a legal term inaptly, but as aptly as this memo actually gets, something called the fruit of the poison tree. And what, what that, that term, is a legal term? Yeah, it's that a legal term. Amazing. Yeah, it's a legal term that refers to a tainted investigation spoiling everything that comes out of that investigation. And the way the memo seeks to do that is by saying that the Chris Steele dossier, um, which most people uh, refer to by the shorthand of PP tape, yes. um, is the genesis of the FBI's investigation of the Trump campaign's potential collusion with Russia, which in turn begets Robert Mueller's special counsel inquiry. Um, the way in which it gets there, um, and we'll come back to how successful it is at getting there in a second, is by saying that the Steele dossier, referring to information compiled by the former British spy, Christopher Steele, who focused tremendously around counterintelligence and the Kremlin, uh, was the genesis of a surveillance warrant on the former Trump campaign foreign policy advisor, Carter Page. And accordingly, the information that comes out of the Carter Page investigation, which one might think is, is sort of on, on the, the, the track to uh, laying the seeds for the Mueller inquiry, uh, relies on information from Jump to, to, that, that essentially withholds from the judge who would grant that surveillance warrant um, the fact that uh, Christopher Steele has uh, financial ties to entities connected to the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic Party. And supposedly that's the thing that discredits, according to the memo, uh, the Mueller inquiry via the FBI inquiry that preceded it from jump. There are several problems with this narrative, and two of them are, are the most substantial. The first is the timeline. In the section of the memo up front called Investigation Update, which is the heart of this thing, uh, it says, on October 21st, 2016, DOJ, that's the Department of Justice, and FBI sought and received a FISA probable cause order authorizing electronic surveillance on Carter Page from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Here's the thing. You'll remember that when James Comey testified um, in, I believe, March of 2017, but definitely again in June of 2017, about the origins of the FBI inquiry into Trump, he says that that inquiry opened in July of 2016, months before this narrative about when surveillance on Carter Page begins. That's just a pretty substantial problem with the story this memo wants to tell. If there's an FBI inquiry into the Trump-Russia uh, connection way before uh, this Fisk, I'm sorry, this surveillance order on Carter Page, which supposedly has something to do with the Steele dossier, then all of that is 
if not outright irrelevant, all this material from the memo is, is kind of speaking past what the, the target of the memo um, actually is. And the second thing is saved until literally the last paragraph of this three and a third page memo. I'm just going to read this, um, these two sentences in full because they're, they're pretty amazing. The Page FISA application also mentions information regarding fellow Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos. But there is no evidence of any cooperation or conspiracy between Page and Papadopoulos. And here's the heart of this. The Papadopoulos information triggered the opening of an FBI counterintelligence investigation in late July 2016 by FBI agent Pete Strzok. Now, right there, the memo essentially on pains of very substantial timeline-based factual inaccuracy has to say that not only is um, not, 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 not only is this page thing not the heart of what we're talking about, but someone else who this memo can't really point to any fault with is the genesis months before. This guy, George Papadopoulos, who is now George Coopadopoulos <laughs> with FBI, I'm sorry, with, um, with special counsel Robert Mueller. So, you know, except for those two fundamental aspects of, of the Nunes memo, this memo is rad. So if it manages to kind of discount itself in multiple sections, why then days later are we still talking about it and why you know why does fox news say that this is the most important document since you know the history of america and all of that like what like if the if the intent mainly is to muddy the waters isn't it basically mission accomplished well if the intent is just to muddy the waters i suppose yes mission accomplished um, but recall that before this memo was released, there was a weeks-long campaign driven by Trump's allies in the House of Representatives saying that this memo was, in the memorable words of a House Republican uh, congressman uh, named Mark Meadows, I'm sorry, no, uh, a different uh, congressman, uh, Steve King, worse than Watergate, that what we were talking, we were supposed to have seen in this Nunes memo is an overwhelming case saying that the Justice Department and the FBI had trampled on an innocent American civil liberties and all in service of this grand conspiratorial lie that this memo was going to prove. Uh, at the risk of editorializing, nah. <laughs> this is Carter Page, the, the man who handed over what was essentially a binder full of microphones to a bunch of Russian spies. This is a man who, ironically, both Page and the Trump administration have been trying for months to distance one, one another from, um, saying that I think they said, like, um, Page was just sort of a, a minor functionary. Um, but, but this was someone who has been proximate to Russian spies since, according to court filings, at least 2013. This is the guy that the Nunes memo makes central to this case of FBI and Justice Department surveillance misconduct. Meanwhile, just a couple weeks before, Nunes himself shepherds a surveillance bill 
stripping away attempts at, at reining in from a civil liberties perspective, uh, really extraordinary FBI warrantless access to terabytes of information on Americans' communications that it's collected by the National Security Agency. So it seems that when Nunes is raising these concerns about deep state abuses of American civil liberties, that only really applies to America himself. Well, to, to the allies of Donald Trump, rather than you and I and millions of other Americans who are caught in NSA dragnets. One of the things that was said about this memo, too hot for TV memo, is that it was like chock full of classified information. Did they redact some things or did they rewrite it or what did they do? Yeah, I was definitely surprised when I read it that I already knew everything in it. Well, here's the thing. You, there are different levels of what you know, uh, to be a little bit ominous. Um, <laughs> it works. There are no redactions. Um, basically, um, if we are correct in our understanding that everything that we saw on Friday when this memo was released um, was everything that um, behind closed doors uh, existed in this memo, then, then there's nothing changed. It is possible, but we do not know for certain um, that some information was actually stripped out of this memo. I, I, I have no reason to believe that, um, but otherwise not. But here's the thing. You know that there was a FISA application essentially a surveillance warrant on Carter Page because of press leaks. You do not know until this memo on Friday that there was a surveillance warrant out on Carter Page as affirmed by any member of the U.S. government publicly. And now we do know that. Why is that significant? Well, if you look on the first page of this memo, there's a reference to several Justice Department and FBI individuals who by name sign off on reauthorizations every 90 days of this FISA application. And this section is murky, but in particular, it mentions the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, who signs off on, quote, one or more FISA applications on behalf of the Justice Department. These occur every 90 days. They only happen if this surveillance is productive. To make a very long story very short, if you interpret what this says about the timeline of this FISA uh, process very conservatively and basically say that Rosenstein basically signs off on one, that takes the, the FISA application, the surveillance on page, to late October of 2017. If he renews, and it says one or more times, then that gets us on two renew, on, on the second renewal that, that Rosenstein, would have been, Rosenstein would have been part of to late January 2018. If there's a third renewal, Page is still under surveillance, and this just blew that. Ah. <laughs> okay. Now, why does that matter? Well, it's not just what someone says under surveillance that's relevant to a counterintelligence investigation. And it's not even just who they talk to, but it's kind of methods and patterns of communication. I can tell a whole lot about you by what time of a day you send out most of your emails and calls. Right. Metadata. Yes. If all of a sudden someone who's under surveillance has something that indicates, even if it doesn't say it completely, 
that they are currently a surveillance target, you're going to take, and the people who are talking to you are also going to take countermeasures to foil or at least break up what these patterns of behavior are. Carter Page is not a cautious man. In fact, one of the (laughs) Russian spies who Page is, according to court documents from 2013, in contact with, um, talks about him being, and I'm quoting, an idiot. I love him so much. Uh, Carter Page has, you know, if he's attentive to these sorts of things, um, at least the opportunity, once this memo is released, to start changing up some of his typical communications habits. And that's one of the things that, again, no one is going to, you know, absent an extraordinary circumstance, confirm that this guy is still under surveillance. But this memo, at least, while stopping quite short, and to be clear, quite short of confirmation, has given you reasonable suspicion that this surveillance could, in fact, be ongoing. At the very least, it's confirming something that no one in the United States government, and I'm someone who, you know, reported on the Snowden trove. Um, I, I, I have some experience reporting on, on surveillance. Um, no one in the government ever wants to confirm up until the point of trial that someone is or has been subject to foreign intelligence-based surveillance. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to pick that up because I actually have this open right now. I mean, you aren't just somebody that reported on the Snowden trove like you are writing in The Guardian in 2013 with Glenn Greenwald about the Snowden trove. Right. Like, yeah, like you you helped to break all of that. And that's one of the things that I think is really curious here. And I think in stark relief with you and your background and but also even with mine, like I'm an old punk, as are you. I know you from the punk planet days. Um, I'm not naturally aligned to agree with law enforcement, right, or to want to see the FBI as or to see the FBI or, or you know, someone like the FISA court or something like that as heroes in a story. Right. And yet this whole thing kind of. I like I don't even know who to root for anymore. So I don't want to tell you to root for anybody. Um, <laughs> you know, we're we're again back to our our mutual punk days. No heroes and no idols. Assume everyone is dirty. Um, but you you know you're speaking to something that I think a lot of people, particularly on the left, um, feel acutely, uh, which is you know, are we now supposed to give uh, incredibly intrusive law enforcement intelligence agencies the benefit of the doubt. And I don't sort of go in for the benefit of the doubt. I go in for the clarity of the factual record. And in this circumstance, the clarity of the factual record bears much more, um, provides much more credence uh, for the story that we know so far, and that's never to say that we know the full story at any particular moment, we should operate on the presumption that we don't. Um, but so far, it tracks more closely with what uh, Comey has testified about and, and with what we know about the Mueller probe and its, its genesis than we do from the story that essentially Donald Trump's allies in Congress, particularly a man like Devin Nunes, who has spent a year blocking and tackling for the president, 
This is a guy who is also the chairman of his national security transition team. So one might see a conflict of interest there. Um, compared to that guy, um, the FBI looks better. That is not, and I want to reiterate this, an omnibus comment about everything the FBI does, about everything that um, the surveillance process involves, and so on and so forth. A, a question. As much as I love him, and I do, Carter Page seems, and you can correct me, he seems real fucking dumb. Uh, I don't know. He he probably isn't, like, but no, he I'm not also correct. maybe. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not correcting you. Okay, great. Um, it, it baffles me for two things. Like, what could he possibly know? But that's beside the point, because I'm assuming you have to recruit idiots for all kinds of things. But why would you go to the mat to protect him? That is a great question. Um, it is perhaps the most baffling element of the Nunes memo. Um, in the absence of other available explanations, um, essentially Carter Page was the best fit curve uh, for all of these like weirdly graphed bullet points that the memo wants to hit. That like the FBI is corrupt. Uh, something something. Pete Strzok, something, something, texts with Lisa Page, something, something, James Comey, something, something, Andrew McCabe, something, something, Rod Rosenstein, something, something, Sally Yates, something, something, Trump Russia. And where all the something, somethings seem to, you know, and certainly something, something, Christopher Steele, and where all the something, somethings seem to, uh, you know, kind of fit their best fit curve. Um, for for if we were to graph these things, seems to be through Carter Page. And it's kind of hard to ignore the prospect that they didn't have a better case to center on. Right. Like if if you know, if they could have done this through, I don't know, someone else, uh, you know, one of the Trump kids, Kushner, I don't know. But you would have to think they would have found a much more appealing um, case than than someone like Page, and they couldn't, or at least we know that they didn't. I mean, so how do all of these memos even relate at the end of the day to whatever the hell Robert Mueller the Third is doing over in the corner? Like, I mean, the, I get that the idea is to sort of discredit all the various institutions, but like, there's nothing. There's no overlap, specific overlap with where he's at right now, right? Well, if you are going to read this memo um, as a Trump advocate or a Trump partisan or just someone who's more inclined to give Trump the benefit of the doubt and you don't really read it particularly closely, you come away with a countervailing narrative if and when Mueller actually gets, gets closer and closer uh, to the president which is that all of this starts from a central error. Now, I can, and we've talked for the last 25 minutes about why that's not really an accurate portrayal, even by the memo's own terms, but it's not as if there's a, a standard of fidelity to factual accuracy for the public discourse around this stuff. It's only the people who are already predisposed to care about that uh, who find that to be an impediment to just saying whatever the fuck you feel like. So, so that's really where you're at. And, and that I would, um, I would strongly guess is why 
they want this memo out, not just for what, you know, on its own terms and what an objective observer or at least a detached observer might say is, is the balance of damage that it does to uh, the Mueller investigation, but just what it could do. And, and what, you know, in the haze of memory, several weeks, months, whatever from now, if and when Mueller comes back uh, with obstruction charges or, 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 you know, conspiracy charges, you could have, you know, you could imagine Trump and his allies pointing to, ah, but this memo shows you that where Mueller started from was already tainted. And then you've got to go through a cycle of people saying, no, that's not in fact what it says. And even if you look at what it says, there are reasons both internally and externally to disbelieve that. But, you know, has that really been an impediment to, to anything Trump has said and done for the past two years? No. <laughs> Is this just uh, one thing that's been really, I've been really wondering about, how how does, is the FBI super pissed off? Like what? Yes. Good. Okay, that's good. I mean, there, there were real concerns, particularly in the, in, the, in the days leading to this memo release, about whether Trump's FBI director, Chris Wray, was going to resign over this. Yes. And it seems from the statement that he put out to, to the FBI late Friday that he's not. But, you know, this does, you know, particularly when you, when you stop reading this um, clinically and forensically and just sort of step back, um, what this memo says within its first, you know, in its second sentence is that our findings, which are detailed below, raise concerns with the legitimacy and legality of certain DOJ and FBI interactions with the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. It's calling the FBI's fundamental integrity into question. And that's something that the FBI takes very, very seriously. Um, and, and it's all the more striking that it's coming from a committee that overwhelmingly, in, a, in the FBI's intelligence context, reflects, including very recently with this most recent surveillance vote, the prerogatives of the intelligence agencies themselves. So to have one of the primary interlocutors on surveillance on Capitol Hill go hammer and tongs at the FBI with the full backing of the House of Representatives Republican Caucus and the White House is, is, it, is just new and scary territory for the Bureau. Ultimately, the the FBI fucked Nixon. I mean, you know, in the person of Mark Felder, you know, right? So is there any sense that they might, are they going to, Spencer, are they going to save us? Who's going to save us? No That's one's going want. to save you. God damn it. You have to say, this is, this is again from, from, from punk rock. We have to save ourselves. I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of this, I'm, I'm just going to editorialize for a second. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fantasy that people on Twitter on the left have latched onto out of both desperation, frustration, and a sense that at a certain point, things are going to go back to uh, what they previously thought of as normal. And I would just ask what the basis for that belief is at all. It seems when you take like the last you know 20 plus years of American politics, it only inclines, particularly on the right, rather especially on the right, I would argue fairly uniquely on the right, toward this, this 
you know, rather toxic and conspiratorial bent. And I, I question whether Trump is anything more than a symptom of that. Sure. So, I mean, if we're not well, if we're not saving ourselves or if we're not if someone else isn't saving us, if we are saving ourselves, if you, you know, with a very unique perspective on kind of secret courts in the U.S. and the way the intelligence operation works and all of that and in kind of looking at the lay of the land as it stands right now, like where do you think this is all leading? Like we can't really have. I would assume the FBI warring with the GOP and like, I mean, it doesn't feel like we are on ground that can stay for much longer. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't like making predictions about particularly on this sort of thing, political equilibrium, but I would just say that, you know, the balance of forces here. You know, in this memo particularly, there's, there's, there's a name that, that really underscores the stakes, and it's Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. It, this memo in, insinuates, without actually making an accusation, that Rosenstein is dirty. Rosenstein is Mueller's functional overseer at the Justice Department because of Jeff Sessions' recusal from, from, from the Russian investigation. The way you either cap, suppress, or fire Mueller outright, runs through Rosenstein. If you want to really wave a bloody shirt from this memo, the way you go about doing it is say that you've lost confidence in Rod Rosenstein and you fire him. And either uh, the associate attorney general, Rachel Brand, will do Trump's bidding and, and either fire or otherwise uh, restrain Mueller, or she won't. Or uh, Trump appoints someone else as deputy attorney general who will. And that's the kind of um, template people point to when discussing uh, Nixon's Saturday Night Massacre, Massacre, in which basically like you find people to fire throughout the Justice Department until you get to the prosecutor you're actually aiming at. And these are really the stakes here with this memo. It's not even just Mueller. It's a question of, is Trump going to remake the FBI and the Justice Department with all of their immense power in his image and get it to buckle to be his pawns. Uh. <laughs> Dan, say something. God damn it, Dan. <sighs> does, Carter, does Carter Page use uh, emojis when he texts? So that phone number, uh, yeah. Like, uh, he didn't with me. He will with me. <laughs> No, but Dan, I mean, you reference, you know, we, we share a certain kind of background. Um, you know, I don't really see, you know, from from punk rock, a lot of, you know, basis to believe that uh, American institutions are going to be eternal and are going to be resilient and are going to, you know, work on the benefit, you know, of, of the, the entirety of the American people. And you know, you would kind of reference that as saying like, well, isn't it weird to kind of be on the FBI side of this? And I would just say, you know, if you feel like it's weird, you should inspect, you know, why that feels weird to you and why it feels ahistorical. And perhaps there are good reasons um, for, for, you know, particularly on this case, looking at the preponderance of the factual record. 
um, to give it a, a measure of credence. But beyond that, I don't know. Um, and, you know, when, when looking to exogenous events in American history, uh, particularly political developments, how much faith does that give you? Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, yeah. It's not that I'm ready for it to go yet. I mean. All right, give it a month. <laughs> to, as, to quote it, to quote Jesus nice, life comes at you fast. It does. It does. Well, Spencer, uh, thank you so much for joining us, helping to clear that up and also helping to freak me out. Um, Can I say one more thing just because we yes. got to get into it? What an honor it is and what, what like a weird development of life it is for me to be on this podcast with you, Dan. Um, I was a youthful punk rocker who read Punk Planet pretty religiously. Um, I don't know if you know this, but um, I am one of the punk rockers in the famous Spin Magazine photograph. Uh, I, I I have a mutual friend that told me this story. Yeah, I think I also rejected your first piece of writing. <laughs> you, yes, oh. you definitely did. You turned Dan. Uh, uh, you turned down um, the first pitch that I ever uh, got the confidence to send to a publication. Um, I was. Uh, I had just finished my, my first semester in college. I was working uh, digitizing court records at the Middlesex County Courthouse in New Jersey. Um, and I remembered that uh, while being broke is a joke, Punk Planet would pay for submissions. And like had, had an ad I remember that said, like, write for Punk Planet, make fat not. <laughs> I don't think that and was I exactly that. the words. And I tried that. Um, and I, I think I tried to send you some like, awful piece of, of like terribly overstylized fiction. And, um, I called up from the, the temp cubicle I was at, um, and got, got you, which I was surprised to get. Um, and like, you gave me some like diplomatic response, like, Oh yeah, I'll take a look for that or something like that. But like <laughs> that, that, that wasn't going to be in the cards, but you know, I want to thank you for that because it's probably much, much, much better that that piece of writing never saw the light of day. There you go. That's that's me. I'm crushing dreams, and here we are. We fast forward all these years later, and you're crushing my dreams. Oh, Maureen, I feel a little... I'm kind of staring into the middle distance right now. Mm-hmm. Oh. Sorry, sir, I'm on the phone. Just making a call here, just typing. Actually, I'm just typing a little text. Morning, you're not. Morning. We got. You can wait till the end of the episode. Smiley, smiley, smiley. peach butt, peach butt, peach butt. You can just you can hold off. Just hold off a little. Dad, I just give me a second here. Have you no shame? Peach butt, peach butt, peach butt. Call me. Send. Okay. What? Hmm. Hmm. What? Who are you texting, Maureen? It's not important right now. <sighs> well, I'm glad you got something I out of it. I thought that was great, and I feel, I'm like really excited. I, I feel like maybe it's because I rejected his fiction when he was a teenager. He's yeah. like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just 
I'm gonna rain doom clouds on oh, I got this a message. podcast. Sorry, I got a message here. Oh. oh, it's just a bunch of it's a bunch of attachments. It's a whole bunch of documents. I have to read these. It's a whole bunch of photos of documents and a bunch of pictures of somebody's feet. I think those are his feet. Oh, that looks classified and dirty. Um, I'll read these later. Maureen, are you are you with us? Are you even? I, are you here? I just had a. I just got a text. That's all. Man, I thought that was awesome. I thought that was like real. You know, you got the you know, Carter Page's number. You know, and I didn't. The rest was good. I. I wasn't super paying attention to the rest. I mean, I heard, got, got the phone number and then, you know. Uh, well, I, I think it's for the best. It was fine. I, it was super upbeat, Maureen. It was I a- also will say that as we're recording this, which is on Monday, and this is coming out on a Monday, the, what's today, the 5th, that the bell has just rung and the Dow has dropped 1,100 points today. That's good, though, because Trump has very clearly taken credit for every time the Dow goes up. So I'm sure he is also happily taking credit and, you know, making amends for when it goes down, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. His middle name is Accountability. That, that'll be how it works. That's, that's his, I'm Accountability. The buck always there? stops there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm sure that's fine. It's I've been it's been great watching it go up because oh, I have I, I have no I got what? a text again. I really hope that's his thumb. All right, go on. Sorry. The uh the stock market rally has definitely been good when you don't have any stocks. So watching it crash is equally as as there's no stakes in that game for me, Maureen. I have a little tiny stock thing that I I started like a little you know, like little account. And it's like my, it's like my wedding spending account. And it, since it went down, it's good because like, I do not like wedding stuff. So I'm like, whatever. That's like one less thing I have to buy. Yeah. So it's, I am already an ordained minister, Maureen, and I'm not even going to charge you. I'm going to do that shit for free. All right. That's good. I had to pay for a permit, park permit. Okay. We should still have parks by then. Hopefully. Central Park permit, Dan. I'm getting married with the rats. That's fun. I have had so many rats run over my feet in Central Park, Dan. It's a beautiful place, New York City. It's just a gorgeous, wonderful city. I understand why everyone moves there. It is a beautiful park, though. Yeah, it's great. Nothing beats a good rat running. Okay. Uh, To be fair, the rats will largely leave you alone. I was, however, chased out of Central Park uh, on a summer's night when it was like 9.30 and still light out. My friend Julie and I were chased out by three raccoons. Real scraggly ones, too. Like, they just kind of kept up. Like, they walked up to us, like, because my friend Julie and I used to go on these epic walks around Central Park for like three hours and like discuss book ideas and things like that. And we walked until dark, and then we realized that we were being slowly tracked by these three real scrawny, scrappy, mangy-looking raccoons. And we were like, oh, they're fa- – oh, oh. And then we had to start running away. We ran out 
of the park. And that is not even the first time I've been chased out of a park by a small animal. Well, you know, maybe it's okay then. Societal collapse and then we have the rise of the raccoons. I am sure I've told you about the time that I was chased out of a park, my mother and I, by a squirrel. And that ended with my mother and I accidentally pepper spraying ourselves. I have not heard that story. Let's wait for another day then. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's true. I mean, I can tell you the whole thing, but that is how it ends. It's very exciting. Dan, that's not important right now. What's important is that America's going great. The Dow is, don't look at the Dow, Dan, and don't look at that. Don't, don't look, Dan. Maybe it's fitting that they fucked up the Hall of Presidents. You had to bring Disney into this? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dan, Dan. God damn it. I have a Google alert for the Hall of Presidents now so that whenever anyone disrupts Trump's speech, I, I'm pinged about it. And uh, I but it also means you catch a lot of false positives. And there was a article written for retirees on their vacation in Florida. And Maureen, it mixed up Epcot Center's American Adventure and the Hall of Presidents. And I almost wrote a letter to the editor for some oh yeah, like some some retiree blog. And then I and then I took a breath. I took a breath and I looked at what was important. And I decided that was not important at that moment. But they are different, Maureen. They are super different. If you say so. Look, one is a 23-minute narrative entirely acted by robots mm-hmm. and narrated by a robotic Ben Franklin. And a robotic Mark Twain. All right. The other is just robot presidents. One is a stirring story of the entire history of America, Maureen. Mm -hmm. The other is just some robot presidents waving. Right. It's not okay to confuse those. No. Did I confuse those? One is the ultimate in the robotics of audio anatomics that was possible in the 1980s when it debuted and is still running today. The same robots, Maureen. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. The other, they've done the president robots a bunch and a bunch of them just barely move at all. Right. Well. I'm just saying they're different, Maureen, and I would appreciate it if people didn't confuse them. That's all I'm saying. It's all I've got, okay, Maureen. Okay, all right. I. That's all I have. Okay, I... All I've got left in this world. I mean, they—they they seem they're similar in kind. They're not similar. <sighs> Look, Dan. Here's what I'm thinking. You're probably feeling a little shaky. A little shaky. You're probably feeling a little shaky. I am a little shaky. We're going to get to have to get your blood sugar up. <sighs> what you need, maybe some pizza. Okay. Like a... Oh, fuck. I so, know where you're going. I got now, you. this is... No, you're not reading me the blue apron. I'm, I'm saying maybe you need pizza. Uh... 
I thought you liked pizza. It's like a, I do it, like pizza. Pizza is a, I like pizza. It's called a three cheese pizza with creamy tomato sauce and romaine salad, and it can be yours if you check out our sponsor, Blue yeah, Apron. Now, a lot of people sponsor. want me to stop talking about Blue Apron. They say it's not funny anymore, and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to get us money, but I'm not going to bring it up because people have told me to stop. Thank you, people. Thank you, people. See, we are saving ourselves. I'm not going to talk about it. It's they're they're not. I'm, gonna, I'm quoting down. I have my finger quotes up. Not our sponsor. There you look at that. Yet. Ugh. Ah, Maureen, it's been a real roller coaster. It's been a real roller coaster of an episode. Yeah. Yeah, it has. We're all sad now, except. I don't know. It's more Carter Page for the rest of us, I guess. If you're into that kind of thing. Yeah, I really am. His shiny, bright face. He's like a sentient lollipop. Ah, <laughs> uh, Our theme music is performed by Ted Leo. Our logo is designed by Darth Who Maureen. This is a bit of good news. This is a little, little bit of light in the darkness. This is a little bit of shine on the sh shit. Is that a slogan? No. That should, be a, that should be a saying. That's a little shine on the shit. That's a little shine on the shit, Maureen. Darth is back. Darth. That Darth on Twitter emerged from their hibernation and uh, couldn't have been a moment too soon. Darth, it is great to have you back. You put a shine to the shit. Oh, Dan. Oh, no, you didn't hit record. Yeah, I did. Psych! Southern pork chops, baby, with colored green rice and clementine salsa can be yours. You contact our sponsor, Blue Apron. They're not our sponsor. They're not our sponsor. And They're again, never going to be our sponsor. And if you want... We, if now, you're do a, we now do an ad slot at the top of this goddamn podcast, and they will never be our sponsor. Ah, you can contact us at Says Who Podcast on Twitter. And you should. You should. You, you should. can also email us at hey, H-E-Y, at SaysWhoPodcast.com. And you should. You should. There's also a heck of a discussion happening over on Facebook at slash groups slash SaysWhovians. And that Facebook group is moderated by Janice Dillard. And you should. You should. Another thing you should do, you should join us on February 21st. For our next episode. I don't think society will have collapsed by then. No, it'll be fine. So we'll we'll be here. Talking in your head. Everything's fine, Dan. It's fine, everyone. Don't worry, we got this. Wait, that's a that's a different podcast. That is a different podcast. Remember when we had we, the, we got you. this guys on and just talked about Disney? Those were the days. Those were the, we got to prepare for societal collapse. What if society collapsed? Would Disney collapse? Probably not. They run a no, no. Yeah, they'll be fine. They'll go into their tunnels. Oh, man. Oh, there you go. There's, a, there's a book idea for you, Maureen. Don't you love it when people tell you book ideas? There's a book idea for you, Maureen. You write those books. Society collapses and everyone has to get to Disney World. That's an idea that's for actually, one of your books. That's... A, that's that is actually not a terrible book idea. You should write that book, Maureen. You know, another thing that people like with books is uh, is characters. <sighs> I record in a basement, so at least I'm fine. If society collapses, I'm already underground. Blue Apron. 
We're already underground. From my basement in Chicago, I'm Dan Sinker. From my closet in New York, I'm Carter Page. You're Maureen. Yeah. Mrs. Carter Page. Oh, man. Oh, this was a whole... Whoa. <laughs> I just realized yeah. you've got a marriage yeah. permit. Long got, con. Yeah, man. The old switcheroo. License to wed. Man. Oh, there's a book you could write. Oh, That's a good book idea, damn. Maureen. You know, people like those romance novels. You could write one I'm about leaving. a marriage. I'm leaving, Dan. Goodbye. People like marriages. Who doesn't like reading about a marriage, Maureen? Maureen? Everyone loves weddings. Maureen? Maureen? Mrs. Bin says who?